You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Um, about 12 years ago, I, uh, I was working in a car dealership, and it was one of the most demonized environments I have ever experienced. Um, it was a good job. I, I mean, I needed to make money, and I made money, and the Lord, he really did direct me to go, to go there, and... Um, but I had, uh, I had bosses that, like, it was, it was like textbook biblical demonization would, like, manifest around me as I was just being, being me, um, you know, from, from these managers and, and other, you know, salespeople that I was around, um, (laughs) I don't know how many stories I should tell you, they found out that, Ashley and I were, um, this is when I was dating Ashley, they found out that we were waiting until we were married to, um, to make love. And, and so that spread like wildfire through the whole car dealership. I mean, this is a big car dealership. There's like 50 sales guys. And <clears throat> from that day on, whenever um, I needed to be called into the, the sales manager's office, my the manager of the store would get on the overhead and say, Virgin, please come to the main office. <laughs> I mean, even if I was like talking to people, I'd be like, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, think of, it, it was like being on a football team, only they were full grown men, just like acting like boys. Um, it's awesome. Um, well, this, <clears throat> this one time, uh, like, Ashley, she found out that they're just, like, giving, giving me all this trouble and making fun of me and stuff, and um, I needed, she needed to come into um, the car dealership while I was working to, like, swap vehicles with me for some reason, and so what she did, because she is such a sweet, wonderful, beautiful southern girl, is she got all gussied up, like... <laughs> She, I mean, she put on her nicest duds, put her makeup on, like, smelled good, and, like, walked through those doors so that everyone saw. <laughs> she literally wanted to, like, restore my honor and be like, yeah, anyway. It was probably half in the flesh and half in the spirit, but it was amazing. Because <clears throat> all those guys that were making fun of me, they are thinking... I know this is crude. They're thinking either she's ugly or there's something wrong with you. And so she comes in just looking beautiful, and everyone's like, Jeremy. Like, well, this one guy comes up to me. I have a point to this story. <laughs> this one guy comes up to me, and he just says, like, something crude. After Ashley leaves, he comes up and says, man, I can't believe you're not blah, 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 blah. And you know what, it, you know, you know what he said. And, you know, I could have got frustrated and, like, played the religion card or whatever, and I just, but something just, like, popped out of me, and it was the Lord, because I wanted to say something else, but what came out of me, I didn't even, I didn't even think, I, all I said, like, it just literally, like, leaped out of my mouth, and I said, when you realize what Jesus sacrificed for you, not having sex with your girlfriend seems like a small sacrifice. And he, like, stood there. And whatever, like, he was thinking was, like, gone. It was, like, completely disarmed. And he literally, like, sat down at my desk and said, tell me about Jesus. 
<clears throat> and <clears throat> and what I did, I I, I didn't. I didn't go down some like Romans road. I didn't, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the Romans road to salvation. All that stuff is amazing. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, but what, what I did is I started talking about how wonderful it is to experience the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and I began to just throw out these like morsels of what it's like to walk with God. And, um, Guys, the anointing dropped in the car dealership so strong that all the sales guys gathered around my desk while I shared the gospel of the kingdom. No joke. It was so noticeable that the sales manager looked around, all the sales guys are gone, and he goes roaming around and finds them all at my desk and yells at everybody to get back to work. Um, even um, my, my friend Muhammad, he's a, a Muslim guy. He was leaning in, like from around the corner, listening to me talk about Jesus. Well, I um, <clears throat> I get off work. Um, it, I had the early shift, and so I was going home at like five or six p.m. And it was in the winter months, so it was already dark. And I'm walking across the uh, the parking lot, and I get halfway across this huge parking lot out to my car, and I hear behind me, "Jeremy, wait up, wait up!" And I turn back. And um, it's, it's that, that first guy who said the crude remark and then wanted to know about Jesus. And so I stopped and turned, and he's walking up to me. And, um, you know, the, the floodlights are on uh, in the parking lot. And I can see as he gets closer that there are tears going down his cheek. And, and he, sa- he says, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I, I, I know you probably want to go home. I, I, Never mind. And he turns around and he stops like this. And he turns back and he says, but I mean, I just, and and he can't like, he can't get away. He's like, I know you want to go home. I'm sorry to bother you. And he turns around again and something stops him and pulls him back. And I said, Chris, come with me. And um, he came and sat uh, in my car. And when we sat in my car, I got a couple things from the Lord for him. Um, Just one of my one of my gifts started to kick in, and I, and I told him some stuff about his own heart, and, um, and it was accurate stuff, and, he, and um, he got born again in my car. He just, <clears throat> he came to faith. He was introduced to Jesus, um, and it was, it, was a, it was an introduction. I wasn't telling him things about Jesus. I was showing him what he's like. I was showing him, I was introducing him and not just you guys know what I'm saying? Um, well, I didn't see him for a couple of days. He had like a break from work. And, but the next time I saw him, he came up to me just beaming, just smiling. I mean, and he wasn't raised in church. He had never like been a believer. He wasn't backslidden. He got saved out of complete hedonism. He was a heathen, and now he is a saint. And two days later, I run into him again, and he's just, just glowing. And he said, Jeremy, I found out that we can fast to encounter God more. He's fasting <laughs> two days into the kingdom, and he's like overshot the runway. <laughs> um, and one of my, uh, a little while later, um, one of my managers I developed a friendship with, I was sitting in his office, and um, he started just telling me about like, 
the state of his heart. He just started opening up to me, and he wasn't—he wasn't a believer, and um, and so I just said, "Can I can I pray for you?" And he said he was a little bit uncomfortable with the idea, um, and <clears throat> and I said, "How about this?" Um, you don't have to believe in God if you don't feel something change when I lay hands on you. I don't recommend that. Like, it's just what I did. I just had this moment where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm putting the Holy Ghost on the hook. And so, <laughs> I hope that phrase doesn't get tweeted by itself. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, uh, I just said, if you don't feel something change, like when I pray for you, you don't have to believe. And so he let me pray for him. And I just began to welcome the Holy Spirit um, and ask the Holy Spirit to love on him, um, to let him finally feel his love. And his, his head was down. And um, I don't know, I, I prayed for 30 seconds, maybe a minute. And when he looked up, his eyes were full of tears. And I said, you felt him. And he said, I felt him. And he got saved. <laughs> he started coming to church. And it was just, I'd, I'd, I'd tell those, I, first of all, I want to like, here's a caveat. Like, I tell those stories back to back. It makes me sound like I lead people to Jesus all the time. It's not true. Those are like the two highlights of like a couple years of working in that car dealership. Um, I do know people that are just like walking revivals. Like every, like every day, they're like, how many did you get saved? And I'm like, <laughs> um, I prefer the long game. Um, but I, <laughs> they, they, they encountered God. They didn't just encounter things about God. And I feel like, um, I feel like we've gotten really good at answering questions that the world's not asking. And we have the ability to get, like, throw out these biblical truths, but it's, it's not necessarily, like, what the world needs. And it, it's almost like, uh, you know, we're, we're saying things like, um, you know, homosexuality is, is a perversion of, of love, or, or, or we're throwing out any kind of truth. But what the world is asking is questions more like, well, why... Why should they be treated any differently than straight people? And, or we're, we're saying things like, um, you know, you, you should wait until marriage. Like any, any sex outside of marriage is a sin. But what the world is asking is, how do I keep my teenage daughter from fooling around? How do I, they're, they're, they're asking these real questions that require uh, the actual loving presence of God to walk them through the situation that they're in. They don't just need a scripture of God. They need the God of scripture. And you can tweet that one. <laughs> and so it's like we can have our theological ducks in a row, which is awesome. Like really, like make sure that you are well approved in the doctrine that you walk in. Like, um, but... It doesn't really do you any good if, like, we're scared to talk to someone who's gone through a major loss because we don't actually have God to offer them. We just have 
a couple token scriptures to give them. I hope, I mean, I'm not trying to be heavy, by the way. I, we're, we're all in this together. I'm not like preaching from a high place. I'm just like offering what I think. Um, they really need us. The world needs us. The world needs us to be us because when we are us, we manifest him. The, the living word comes through these broken vessels. Um, and they, the world begins to actually meet the author of the Bible when we speak the truth in love. So we're literally in love. We are in the man who is love while we are speaking these truths. Um, it's, it's like this. Like if you... Um, if you, were, if you memorized the manual to your sports car and never drove it, you could tell someone all about that sports car, but you couldn't actually say, man, you got to feel the adrenaline when you're behind the wheel. Or like, come take a ride with me, baby. <laughs> um, because <clears throat> I don't, this is going to sound a little, a little off, but I feel like the Lord told me that the church doesn't have a problem loving the world. He told me the church has a problem loving the, the world the way the world can receive love. See, we have a Jesus who saves. His very name is like rescuer. Like, he wants to be Johnny on the spot. Like, and not just, like, save you in in, an eternal security kind of way. Like, he wants to save you from financial ruin or a ruined marriage or a a bad life decision or, you know, investing in Bitcoin last week. You know, like, That would have been cool a year and a half ago, but the Lord is saying, not last week. You know what I mean? He wants to save us. He is a rescuer. And um, he's the guy who likes to disempower anxiety. He still loves to miraculously pay taxes through fishing. You guys know that, like, Jesus once paid taxes by fishing, right? He said, go... Go do your hobby, because I got something in, in there for you. And a miraculous, you know, they pull the, the coin out of the, I mean, he just loves to do that kind of stuff. He doesn't just save us for eternity. He saves us time and time again in practical, memorable, tangible ways. The book of John describes Jesus as the word. The living word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus is the incarnate Yahweh. He is, he, all of the Godhead took corporeal form and is dwelling among us, walking around, looking like an average Jewish man. And, and he is the desire of the nations. He is finally on the scene. He showed up in the darkest of darkness. And the very first words out of his mouth in the book of John, he says, what is it that you want? Mm-hmm. 
because I came to fulfill the deepest desire that you maybe didn't even know you had. And he's still asking that question, not because he is like our slot machine of heaven, but because when he asks us, what is it that you actually desire, you start to hunt your own heart to find out what it is that really drives you. And, you, and people realize that there was a hole there this whole time, and he is the perfect Savior to fill it. He walked this out all the time. You remember blind Bartimaeus? Well, he's just Bartimaeus now. He's not blind Bartimaeus anymore. <laughs> he's just Bart. He's good old dope Bart. Um, <laughs> and Jesus, it's this awesome story out of Mark 10. We don't have to put it up there. This is like paraphrase night. I'm just shooting from the hip, basically. Uh, Jesus is, is walking through the town, and he's got, I mean, he's really famous at this point. He has a big following, a big posse with him. And, a, you know, on the side of the road, there's this guy screaming because he finds out, he's like, is, that's, that's the miracle-working dude, like, walking through my town? And I'm blind, so he's thinking, I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs until I get his attention. And he's saying, son of David, don't pass me by. And, and his friends are like uncomfortable. They're like, dude, you got, shh, 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 this is embarrassing. He's like, son of David. And he's just trying to get his attention. <laughs> and then, and, and Jesus is like, get that guy. And so they come over to him and say, you're like, take heart. He's calling for you. This, I don't know if you caught this from scripture, but this blind dude, he, he jumps up, throws off his coat, and goes to him. At that point, like, that's not how blind people move about. <laughs> he is excited. Like, faith has entered his heart. Something has entered his heart. Excitement. And, um, and again, Jesus asks his favorite question, what is it that you want? What is it that you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, Lord, I would like world peace and all of my family to be saved. <laughs> no. He was selfish, right? He was selfish. He could have like asked for anything and gotten it in that moment. And this, this guy just asked for his eyeballs to work. Because in that moment, that is what he wanted more than anything. He said, Savior, I want to see. And Jesus isn't like rebuking him. He's saying, like, your faith has healed you. You're what? All this dude did was make a commotion and tell the Savior what he wanted. When's the last time you made a commotion and told the Savior what you wanted and have him say your faith? He would frequently ask, 
what do you want? Actually, I, I couldn't find a scripture where Jesus asked, what do you need? Because your father knows what you need before you even ask, right? Jesus even said, you don't have to pray for those things. Like he clothes the flowers of the field better than he clothes Solomon in all of his splendor. Those birds of the air that he feeds, he cares way more about you than those birds. He's got you. You don't have to come to him begging for food, clothing, shelter. Like he, he knows that he's a good father. He's going to take care of you. And Jesus comes along and he's saying, what is it that you want? Because it's in the place of desire that we are actually going to be reconnected with him. His name is desire of the nations. Desire actually means of the father. Like he put those desires in our heart. Again, what I'm not saying is that we just go around <laughs> begging him for a bunch of selfish things that, that we want. Um, but I think that we have missed a lot of dramatic encounters with God by praying to him the things that we think he wants to hear instead of praying to him the things that we really want to pray. <laughs> hmm. I'm skipping over a bunch. Sorry. Um, in Mark 7, Jesus does this again. So Mark 7 is this really, it's an important chapter to me because um, all through Mark 2 and chapter 5, Jesus is continually being harangued by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're rebuking him for just being free. He's just walking around being himself and he gets rebuked time and time again. Like Everything he does, like, you healed him on the Sabbath, and you shouldn't do that. You forgave sins, and only God can forgive sins. You picked the heads off grain on the Sabbath, and you can't pick the... They're just, like, rebuking him left and right. And, and then uh, they rebuke him again in, in Mark 7. It says, you guys are eating with unwashed hands, which is gross, but it's, they were rebuking him because he wasn't holding to their, like, ritualistic laws. And at this point... In Mark 7, Jesus just like starts to lay down the hammer, and he says, rightly did they prophesy about you when they, the prophet said, these people honor you with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Your teachings are but rules taught by men. You void out the word of God by holding to your traditions. I mean, he's like, he's finally like, he's letting it out. <clears throat> And then uh, in Mark 7.24, um, Jesus comes into the region of Tyre because he was tired. <laughs> he was wore out by religion. He lit, I mean, he... Anyway, so he is in the region of Tyre, and he goes to this woman's house, and it actually says he didn't want anyone to know he was there. He wanted to keep his presence secret. You guys ever notice that? Like, all-powerful incarnate God, like Jesus, Emmanuel, wanted to keep his presence secret, and it didn't work. Because this woman sniffs him out, fi like finds out that he's there, and, and goes and begins to beg him, saying, my daughter is demonized. Do something. 
Please heal her. Please heal her. And he does. Um, and I, I started to think about, like, me as, as a father, if something of that level were wrong with one of my children, the manner in which I would behave um, and the lengths to which I would go to see them well again. I mean, I would be taking them to any conference or like I would be knocking on Bill Johnson's door, hey, Heidi Baker, do you have a minute? Like I'd be like, anyone that I've heard moves in the miraculous. If, I mean, if, there, if there's someone with a gift of healing or whatever, like you raise someone from the dead, I'm driving across the state so you can lay hands on my kid. You know what I mean? Like you are desperate for whatever is wrong with your child to be fixed. And this woman has sniffed out Jesus, who's trying to keep his presence secret, he does what she asks, and I imagine at that point, she had faith in him. <laughs> she probably wanted to follow him every day for the rest of her life. And Jesus, he's got this, this policy, this like no strings attached policy. He's it's like, go and enjoy the life that I just bought you. And I don't know how you can't follow a guy like that. He did it again. He did the exact same thing when um, he multiplied food once, and then he had this crowd following him around. You know, he's got a reputation as a food multiplier, and people be hungry. And so they're following him <laughs> around. And, <laughs> and some of them are there for, like, just to be around, like, Jesus is Jesus' teachings. And a lot of them are there because they're hungry. And Jesus doesn't turn to him and say, oh, y'all are just working me over because you want me to multiply food again. No, like he knows he wants to give us the good things. And he did it again. He multiplied food. He's not like, you know, you, you got you to check your motives. They're only 50% pure today. Jesus wants to meet people at their need, at their desire, at the place where they can actually uh, taste him in a tangible way, where they can point to a mile marker moment where they met God, whether it's like a demonstration of the Spirit's, well, it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and it can be like a physical healing or speaking the exact right word in, like into their heart that encourages them, breaks off anxiety and hopelessness, and the Lord rushes in. They realize, oh my God, he's real, he's real. I mean, uh, Corinthians talks about this, and it says, when you are prophesying and an unbeliever comes in, the secrets of his heart are revealed, and falling on his face, he declares, God is truly among you. It's a face plant salvation, and he can look back at it and remember it as the moment that he met God instead of heard things about him. When, uh, Wick, have you guys heard of Wycliffe? It's a Bible translating ministry. They've translated the Bible into so many languages all over the world. Well, they were having trouble at the, in this one like remote tribe. They're they're in there like discipling and loving and like people like these people. They can barely speak their language. They're coming to faith in Jesus and they're trying to translate the Bible into this 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 tribal language. And they're having real trouble with um, 
Jesus being the bread of life because they don't know what bread is. Like in, in the U.S., like bread and water is like the staples of our diet, you know? You, you eat a peanut butter sandwich, like you go to prison, they're going to give you bread and a potato or something, you know? That's, that's what it's like in the Western world, but... <laughs> But in this tribe, they've never seen a loaf of bread. They don't know who Sarah Lee is. And so, but they, they know what bananas are. Banana is actually what they use. It is the biggest staple of their diet. They make so much stuff out of banana, the leaves, the fruit, banana. And so I kid you not, in their Bible, Jesus is the banana of life who came down from heaven. You go to John 6 in their Bible, and it says, your forefathers ate the banana in the wilderness, and they died, but he who eats of this banana shall live forever and not perish. My flesh is banana indeed. Like John 6, it is the banana chapter, and, <laughs> and they get it. Because you don't need to go in there and explain to them Hebrew culture and like try to explain to them, well, this is unleavened bread and this is bread that rises. You don't want yeast in the bread. No, like that, that is useless to them at that moment. They know banana. So Jesus is the banana. And if, you know, one of these guys is, you know, out in the jungle and you know, some wild animal comes after him and, and he's running for his life and a bright light manifests behind him. He turns and it's, it's like this glowing angel. It's like Jesus has stopped this panther from like coming in and eating this guy. He is going to put his faith in Jesus, but Jesus isn't going to say, good afternoon, my name is Jesus, put your faith in me. It's going to be whatever like language like what, <laughs> that they speak. And guys, I, <laughs> I hope you're hearing me. We are going to be partying on the Crystal Sea with that guy, and all he knows is that the angel who saves from Panther, whose name is, who is the banana of life, saved me, and he put his faith in Jesus. And he has a moment where Jesus actually saved him. I hope that didn't offend anybody. I never tried. <laughs> Guys, oh my goodness. <clears throat> Do you know that he doesn't expect us to love him until we let him love us first? He always beats us to the punch when it comes to love. You love because he loved first. You can freely give. We can all freely give because we freely received. There ain't no strings attached to that love. It is free. And when we have freely received this gift of salvation and even freely received him saving us many times in our life, we can freely save others with no strings attached. We can act just like him. I have much more that I long to share with you tonight, um, but we've reached 7 o'clock. Um, so what I wanted to do 
is um, stand up. And I love that Ryan Adair started picking up on this theme that the, he just, we just wanted to let the Lord love us again. But we don't need music. We're just going to put our attention on the Holy Spirit. And um, <clears throat> I know that there are people in this room who need to be saved. And I'm not talking about just heaven. Like we're in situations. We have gotten ourselves in situations. Life has put us in situations. The enemy has overplayed his hand in our life. We, we have situations. And the Lord wants to save us. He wants you to have yet another memory, another moment of him being good, really, really, really good. And I feel right now that he is authoring faith in our hearts, that hope is entering the room, that that situation that you're in, Jesus is going to step into it. 